Pull yourself up a chair and join us at the Energy Roundtable. Welcome to Energy Roundtable, where Lisa and I get together and we chat about the news in the energy industry and give our opinions and our two cents. And uh, it's worth about two cents, but uh, hopefully you enjoy. Lisa, welcome. Hello, Matt. How are you? Oh, couldn't be better. It's Olympic uh, season. I'm uh, I'm addicted to the Olympics, so uh, it's uh, a good time to be alive. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I watched the uh, the women's mountain biking yesterday, and uh, yeah. yeah, the uh, the way I was not expecting the results. Those results actually, uh, there was uh, I was co- co- expecting very different results. So it was clean, it was cool. Clean sweep by the Swiss, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it, and and they they got uh, uh, gold, uh, silver, and bronze. Uh, like yeah. it, was, it was unbelievable. Yeah, wow. So Great. well, they do have a lot of mountains in Switzerland, from what I've heard. So they do, they do. That kind of yeah. Makes sense. yeah. So I am uh, I'm going to stay on topic uh, with my first article. Both my articles are are uh, um, Tokyo Olympics related. And uh, so for those who are living under a rock, we are in the middle of the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. Um, and to answer the question my son asks, why is it called 2020? Because they were supposed to be last year, but in light of the pandemic, um, we are we are having them now. And so my first article is from Euronews.com. It's an article from last week, seven days ago, and the headline is Japan's Hydrogen Economy to Power the Tokyo Games. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what's kind of cool is that the, so the, the Olympic Games has this Olympic torch. The Olympic torch is kind of this eternal flame of competition and good sportsmanship and kind of the symbol of the Olympics. And this year, uh, I don't know if you do this, Lisa, but this year it's fueled by hydrogen. Wow, uh, no, I didn't know that. So presumably the, fuel, the flame burns hotter because uh, hydrogen burns hotter. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe it burns a different color. Uh, I should know that. Um, but really um uh, tokyo and japan really is is on the hydrogen bandwagon and really you know japan has traditionally led the world in in new technology development on all you know on a lot of fronts and they have that kind of mindset and so Mm -hmm. hydrogen is um so they have you know tokyo i guess the metropolitan um, government like you know the city of toronto here uh, they have this research center for hydrogen energy based uh, society so that's part of the tokyo technical university and um so yeah they, they, this is kind of their opportunity to shine and really bring hydrogen forward um you know so um they, there's a quote and it says it is hoped that the tokyo 2020 games will leave a hydrogen society as its legacy and uh I guess that they referenced that in 64, the Olympics were there and they, they, the high speed train was kind of the legacy from that. And they're hoping that hydrogen will be the legacy of the 2020 games. So, um, yeah, whether it's power or I guess they have 500 hydrogen cars, uh, that are driving uh, folks around, um, you know, in, in Tokyo. So, um, you know, really, really interesting, you know, to, to merge, you know, sports and hydrogen. So, yeah. I, no, I think it's a great news story, and I think they've done a lot in general just to make the uh, the Olympics as carbon neutral or renewable, so to speak, as they can. I mean, you've heard of the cardboard beds, I'm sure. Uh, some say it's for other reasons. I won't get into ah, that on the show. Um, come on! <laughs> uh, but, you know, the fact that they did that, I think, is great, because you can just imagine how much waste you would otherwise have, just in general, from, from you know, putting on the Olympics. So uh, I did not know that, though, with a torch, so that's uh, very interesting. 
Yeah, it didn't. I missed. We for some reason we missed the opening ceremonies. I love to watch the opening ceremonies, and uh, I wonder if it was addressed. You know, did uh, did Mike Tirico, the famous NBC announcer, did he talk about uh, hydrogen being the? Probably not, but you never know. So, yeah. uh, anyways, maybe as the flame leaves and goes to Paris, I think is the next Olympics. Uh, maybe they will talk about it being hydrogen then. We'll see. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I hope it uh, it sets a precedent. That'd be awesome. Okay, so my article, um, this is a CBC article, and it was it's called uh, New Brunswick Can't Meet 2030 Deadline for Coal Phase-Out, Minister Says. And uh, basically, New Brunswick's Natural Resources and Energy Development Minister, Mike Holland, said there isn't enough time, he claims, uh, to come up with new sources of power by 2030. And he's defending a plan to keep burning coal at New Brunswick Power's Bell Dune station until 2040. Um, so apparently he's saying that it's the uh, that they can't meet this and, uh, you know, to, by the federal deadline, it's the only way the province can meet greenhouse gas targets without having to build an expensive new power plant. Um, he's suggesting that it doesn't give them enough time to put in place alternatives such as small nuclear reactors or SMRs. And the proposal would see the province use Beldune only during the winter months. The province says that it would allow the plant to emit the same total cumulative volume of greenhouse gases through 2040 as it would be operating full time until 2030. Um, I, so I, I give the article a thumbs down. I think it's quite short sighted because I don't think it really contemplates a lot of the different third party investments that we're seeing from different PPA providers out there. And I think there's a lot of evidence that is supporting the fact that, um, you know, there's already a lot of activity in the space with these third parties, with PPA providers and other uh, investment opportunities, uh, with companies and utilities and other entities. And I think a lot of these different companies uh, are favoring, you know, these investments. And um, I think it's going to be, uh, it will likely continue to be a way to expedite the global energy transition. So again, I think it's short-sighted. And my uh, my message to uh, to Minister Mike Holland would be: if Alberta can do it, New Brunswick can do it. Right, right. Wow, laying down the gauntlet. Uh, well, yes. let's, see if, let's see if we can get him on the show and and uh, <laughs> maybe do an energy radio podcast with him. Yeah, uh, I, I'm inclined to agree with you. I think you know we we have to. I mean, Ontario set a target, I think it was 2015, and they finished it in 2014. Like, you know, even if you set a target and then you miss it by a year, at least you've, you've, you've forced yourself to, 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 to show action. And I think, um, you know, this, this sounds like it's not doing that. It's saying, hey, you know, give us some more time. Now, I mean, I'm not in charge of energy regulators, right? That's probably a difficult job. Nobody wants 2003 or 2006 uh, when, you know, when the... Uh, when the uh, the the whole kind of eastern seaboard went black. Um, by the way, I watched uh, the new musical In the Heights, uh, which is Broadway come to, and, and there's a big blackout in there. I don't know if it's a kind of, have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it. I've okay. heard of it, but I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, it, it's good. We watched it on the weekend. We're big musical fans. Uh, anyway, so there's a blackout. And I kept, I was explaining to my bride um, the blackout, and, and obviously she, she doesn't really remember it because, you know, she was alive, of course, and, and same age as I am, but she's not in the energy space so it was a fun you know weave work into a friday evening movie right uh anyways we digress but i so so there's that pragmatic reality of running an electricity grid and how important that is uh but i think as leaders you know we need to set targets and you know work our buns off to try to hit them so yeah. um I, i'm with you on that so um you mentioned earlier 
that you know the, the the games are going to recycling and they're you know they're more sustainable uh, gonna call blo- uh, call uh, call um, I don't know we're gonna we're gonna call that into question with the next article so the next oh. article is from uh, dzine.com d-e-z-e-e-n.com not sure anything about the website we'll we'll link it in the uh, in the show notes but um, the, the article is Tokyo 2020 Olympics accused of superficial sustainability efforts and so the the article talks about you know the the measures that you talked about in the cardboard beds um you know to be sustainable um and and i guess the person that lit the torch was wearing a um a uniform made from recycled uh, coca-cola bottles it does mention the hydrogen fueled torch um but it goes on to say you know a couple things one is that um, you know, historically, every every Olympics gets less and less sustainable uh, as time goes on. And mm. a big contributor is you have all these people coming. Now, it's it's lessened because of the pandemic this time, but you have all these people coming to town. They need somewhere to live. They need some transit. They need somewhere to go. They need to get there. You know, they're not all taking Greta Thunberg's yacht across that they're going to fly. Right. And yeah. so all of that. And so Tokyo is advertising it as sustainable but they're doing that because of uh carbon offset and so they're mm. they're they're papering up the the story with carbon offsets which i mean that's a good thing you know you're funding certain projects but uh at the same time it's not as going as far as you know either conservation like not using the carbon at all uh which is preferred or the carbon capture right and, and there's this yeah. ongoing learning in our society and i'm just going along with it of What's the difference between, you know, carbon capture and a carbon offset and, you know, which one is on a net net basis uh, better? So um, the IOC has said they want all uh, events carbon neutral as of 2030. So they do have some some uh, some aggressive targets. And of course, the Japanese Olympic Committee saying, no, 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 we are, you know, carbon neutral. and, And here's how we're getting there. But, yeah, it's it's a good lesson. And you always have to kind of peel back the onion and uh, and look a little bit deeper right so yeah. um there's the, there's this advocate they're they're, they're going to emit more co2 uh than the city of copenhagen admit, uh, emitted in a year so wow know, of course of the olympics so it's well a, i know oh sorry what? go ahead oh you go no, no i was gonna say i i know that some people are still questioning you know why do we even have the olympics or some people who just don't think it's worth anybody's time I right. personally love it. Uh, I think that, you know, maybe not this year in Tokyo, but generally speaking, it's good for the local economy. Uh, I, I just love the the competition aspect of it as well when you're, you know, that that viewer watching that on the screen and, you know, seeing different countries compete. I think that's uh, that's pretty neat. Um, but obviously, if, uh, you know, that they, they they should be and you know, it looks like they are trying to make it carbon neutral and better for the environment. So and there's still a ways to go there, I'm sure, with offsetting with, you know, flights and things like that. But if there is an overall goal to get there by 2030, I, I think that's good to hear. Right. So I, I give that concept a thumbs up for sure. They, they should have a, a metal event uh, tied to a country's carbon performance. Now, you'd have to mm. normalize it by population, but. It'd be cool if they could, you know, who had the lowest carbon footprint uh, per kilometer yeah. of, of travel or something, right? You that know, would something. generate some good competition. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> Nobody would probably watch the event, but, uh, you know, it'd be, we, we'd be watching it. But. Well, or even if it's just the countries reported it, right? Like right, it's still a right. competition at the end of the day. So for sure. For sure. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So. so my second article, um, 
It is titled uh, Sonovas to Buy Renewable Power from Cold Lake First Nations uh, Elemental Energy Partnership. Um, so they basically entered into a power purchase agreement to buy solar power produced electricity and the associated emissions offsets from a partnership between uh, Cold Lake First Nations and Elemental Energy. Um, so this will help Sonovas advance two of its environmental, social and governance uh, focus areas by addressing climate and greenhouse gas emissions, as well as further supporting Indigenous uh, reconciliation through economic engagement. Uh, it looks like they're going to be doing this with a, a 150 megawatt facility, 15-year uh, PPA. And the piece that I like about it is Sonovas will be also uh, mitigating some of their scope two emissions. So for our listeners, just as a recap, I know we did this in our last episode, but uh, those are emissions represented by purchased or acquired electricity. So I love the fact that they are, they're thinking to me, um, you know, this is a great example of out of the box thinking. Um, and, you know, in terms of decreasing their scope emissions, uh, obviously it's an important element. It's not just about the emissions that you're actually producing, but the emissions that you're purchasing as well. And I was also very happy to hear and see that there uh, that this agreement includes indigenous involvement and just the the idea that you know these various partnerships are starting to form um, to try to accelerate uh, you know the that this energy transition I think is uh, is great. So I give this article a thumbs up. Yeah, I'll give it a thumbs up too. I, I you know any any type of project that can get over the finish line with multiple stakeholders and multiple participation that's a you know, I've done enough project development to know that's a that's a minor miracle. Uh, so kudos to everybody involved for getting there and you know being able to uh, you know kind of return to to the earth, so to speak, in terms of where our energy is coming from, uh, and to do that in partnership with an indigenous community, um, you know, is is very exciting. So um, yeah, that's cool. Uh, that that's uh, that's uh, that's a good news story. So yeah. good good to, good to end on a high note after we've. Uh, you know, been trashing the New Brunswick government and the Olympics. <laughs> That's right. Good. Well, uh, speaking of uh, ending on a high note, uh, let's get to our face-off, and we will uh, invite our good buddy Mark to come on in and facilitate our face-off. Hi, Mark. Hello, Matt and Lisa. How are you guys? Good. Good. How are you? So, I am well, thanks. So, our face-off good. segment, we pit you two against each other, pros and cons on a topic, and today's topic is offshore wind energy. Um, right pros and cons. So I'll let Matt choose heads or tails. Heads. It is tails. Oh. So that choice goes to Lisa. Do you want pros or cons for this uh, face-off? Uh, hey, before Lisa picks next time, uh, you're going to show it to the to the camera, just because every time Lisa wins, I'm starting I'm starting to get a little suspect. So well, you okay. Know what? Well, here, here you go. I, I just I'll <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm gonna give because Matt has done this for me before. I'm gonna give Matt the opportunity of presenting the the pros. Wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. And and he can actually go first. Wow. So now I have to now I have to be the successful uh, participant, or else you know uh, have everything going horrible. So, I mean, offshore wind, so, you know, certainly uh, wind in general, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a resource that's, you know, blowing by our doors every day and, you know, we need to harness it. And so I'm, I'm a big, you know, wind advocate. I think, you know, we've done a great job building out wind. It's not the only answer, but, but wind as, and, and, you know, I comment this very biased because I am, uh, I am a descendant of immigrants from the Netherlands. The Netherlands have had windmills for hundreds of years, uh, moving water around milling grain. So 
very biased towards wind uh, energy in any case. Uh, and my father's done wind development for 20 years. So big fan of wind. The problem with wind onshore is, A, we're running out of places to do it, and B, you have these logistics around agricultural land and access, and uh, you know the wind resource isn't as strong as it is uh, on, on sea. So the beautiful thing about uh, offshore wind is you can go bigger, you can go you know more, uh, more units, um, and the technology that's out there uh, is, is emerging by the day in terms of how to do the foundations, how to put bigger units, how to do it without disrupting um you know wildlife and things like that and um you know there's less wildlife you know above the water there than there is on the land uh so in terms of impacting you know bat population and bird population uh there's a lot of benefits um you know i'm sure that you get into international waters and who has you know sanctity over this kind of stuff but i i think because you can go bigger you can get more of the wind resource you can get it back to shore um i'm sure the dollars per kilowatt installed will go down dramatically so uh, there's a lot of pros for for offshore wind. All right. All right. So I'll do the con side. So uh, I mean, obviously, with offshore wind, this is not the aesthetics don't play as much of a role into it. But I will say, unless you're my mother, I kind of find them ugly. <laughs> she likes them. She loves driving into areas where they have wind farms. She finds it gorgeous. I'm just I don't know. I'm with um, your mom, by the way. I think they're beautiful. I'm with you. You find them beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, obviously, you know, Matt covered a good point that, yes, they can be installed, obviously, offshore. So they start to get bigger and you can produce more energy from that. But there are some effects in terms of the structural component to that and how they're anchored to, you know, sea bottom floors and what what issues they might have with wildlife or, you know, sea creatures and so on. So there could be some issues there that need to be thought about. Um, and then, you know, wind in general, I think it's great if it's being used with other assets, you know, whether it be, you know, natural gas fired turbines or, uh, you know, hydrogen turbines. There's a lot of work going into that space right now. Uh, but there's also issues with wind turbines. I mean, Texas is a great example of that. They're not necessarily suitable for all climates all the time. And of course, they only work when the wind is blowing. So if, you know, you might have uh, and this is probably the, the biggest issue with it. And maybe offshore, you deal with it a little bit less. But in general, you're paying for an asset to be which you're expecting to generate revenue all the time. And the reality is, if the wind isn't blowing and that turbine isn't spinning, you're not monetizing the benefit. So I think that's probably the biggest thing is uh, if I were an investor investing it, I would be thinking, eh. Okay, I really have to see the statistics, and I know there's a lot of work that goes into figuring out areas that are uh, more uh, prone to, you know, good wind conditions and so on. But I think that's probably um, uh, one of the bigger things. Um, and then obviously you don't maybe deal with this on on offshore wind as much as you do with onshore, but um, you know they can cause quite a bit of noise and some visual pollution as well. Um, so those are my areas in terms of the cons. Matt, well, I think you're going to say something. Okay. Go ahead. Well, yeah. So, you know, some of those things, I mean, are are details that, you know, smart, smart people, smarter than I will figure out in terms of the, you know, the financial model is predicated on, they know what the wind resource is and they'll figure it out. The foundations, um, you know, they're, they're, they're getting better by the day. And, and uh, who was I, somebody else, anyways, there's some foundation stuff that's coming. Um, and I think, you know, when you're, when you're a ship coming close to shore, um, you know, some some visuals on the horizon with some bright lights. Uh, it's probably a good idea so that you don't run your ship aground. Uh, so the, the 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 visual pollution uh, is probably a, a good thing on on the coast. So 
Might have uh, been good for O'Leary as well. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark, who won? Yep. Uh, great points. Great points. Uh, my one concern would be the environmental impact, but I am I would imagine that they are surveying, uh, you know, the, the topography of the ocean floor and making sure that they're not disrupting any sort of ecosystem, I would imagine. So I would say that out, out of all the points, I would go with the pro side for this one. I would be I think I would be for it after all the all the research is done properly. Yeah. But but it was a close one. Like Lisa now, wait, there, there is one there is one other thing that we should think about. By the way, not that it was it's going to change your opinion anyways, Mark, but uh, from what I understand, and I, I cannot comment on this, Matt will probably be able to. I think roughly 90% of a wind turbine is recyclable at end of life. I don't know that the other 10% currently is. So, again, something to think about as these turbines get bigger and bigger, especially offshore. Mm-hmm. So, I think that the 10% that's not recyclable is concrete. Uh, And I, again, I don't know this, but you know, on an onshore wind, you have a pretty significant concrete foundation. I think the foundations in offshore are steel, like like an oil rig platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So so the the percentage that's recyclable might even be higher in onshore wind, offshore wind. So interesting. um, Thank you for helping my point. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, thank you both, uh, as always, for a great roundtable and a great face-off. Uh, I am uh, off to two weeks holidays, so we will uh, face off when I return. Uh, but uh, always fun, and uh, get back to watching the Olympics, uh, hydrogen uh, or sustainable or not. Uh, it's always fun to watch. So thank you both. Thank you thank to you. our listeners uh, and you. our viewers. Always, uh, if there's feedback, comments. Uh, drop us a line. Let us know. Uh, love to hear from you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.